Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information, go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. If you're a guest, so glad to have you guys with us. We are wrapping up a series today. It's a very short series we've been doing about Nehemiah. It's a three-part series. Today's the last one of those. And uh, we're not learning everything you could learn about Nehemiah. We're not learning everything that we should be learning from Nehemiah. It's a large book of the Bible. Nehemiah is a huge character. There's so much that we could apply to our lives. This has been a very narrow-focused study that we've been doing. And, And it's called Building Beyond Ourselves. The idea was this, Nehemiah's main thing that he's known for, if if people know anything about him, they know he led rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. He was building the wall. It's what he's famous for. And uh, we believe, as we saw him, he was building something in the natural that he believed would change lives. And, And so we're trying to take that same correlation and learn how we can build something in the natural that also could change lives. And we're talking about the building that God has called us to build. Now, let's be honest. There are times where we can think that this isn't very spiritual because it's so earthly, right? I mean, what are we using? It's not like we're using angels as contractors and and carpenters. No, we're using concrete, and we're using steel, and we're using metal. And and so it's easy for us to lose sight of how something could have a, a larger impact. And so we want you to know, though, that, that what we're doing uh, is a, a family moment. And, and all throughout these three weeks, we've wanted to make sure you knew up front that we're talking about what God has called us to do together as a family. And if you're a guest, there is absolutely no pressure on you. But here's the deal. Two years ago, we believed that God had called us to move out of our rented space that we have here and to go and build our first permanent home. It's what we decided to do together as a family. But we've been growing so fast as a church over 30% every year that, well, that means that most of us don't know what we were doing two years ago, and many of us don't know what we were doing one year ago. And so every March, we like to come back and say, hey, if Grace Life is your home, we'd like you to be a part of building with us if that's what's on your heart. So again, no pressure to the guest, but we're just trying to learn from Nehemiah what he did. So uh, here's a question for you today as we begin. Have you ever found yourself really excited for something and just waiting on it to come? Like maybe or something you ordered online, your, your new video game, Christmas Day, come on. Remember when you were a kid, Christmas Day, that sort of thing? One of the biggest pains in my life, I've been waiting years for it to go away. And it's the road in front of us. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, see, on Sundays, you guys should be grateful. We hired a police officer to help you out of this place. You should be praying for your staff and your pastors Because we have to leave this place at 5 o'clock in the afternoon every weekday. And I have to turn left. That's that's difficult. I mean, that takes like angelic support to get home every day. But anyway, here's the point. They told us long ago that they were going to five-lane this. I don't know why the entire road is five-laned, that direction and that direction. And somehow we got this little mile-and-a-half slice where it's two-lane chaos where everything just got to down and all the cars are insane. But anyway, they said, we're going to five-lane, don't worry. And so we said, great, we'll buy property here, we'll move in here. And they said, we will, we will get it done with the money that you guys approve. And you guys remember that apparently a majority of us a few years ago voted to increase our taxes to pay for that. 
But it's funny, when I talk to people about that, none of us are in that majority, right? But anyway, so we're all paying extra in our, our taxes every time we go to the store so that that could become five lane. And they said, we are going to do this uh, January 2016. And we spent all 2015 going to their meetings and seeing the plans and everything. And so about summer of 2016, we called back and said, hey, what's going on? They said, well, we're a little bit behind. We think we'll be started by January 2017. So about summer of last year, we called back and said, so what's going on? And they said, we're a little bit behind, but we're going to get started January 2018. Yeah, I know it's March. I mean, yeah, this is my, this is where I've been for years. And, and but here's the reason that I'm just waiting is because I'm not involved in the process. I got nothing to do with it. I'm just excited for the day it's finally done. And so that is what we need to talk about today. What I want us to learn from Nehemiah is we can't just wait. We can't just wait. There is something we need to be doing. There's something we need to do right now, and there is much left to be done for us to finish what God has called us to do. We can't just wait. So let me bring us all together, catch us up. If you're here for the first Sunday in this series, let's talk about who is Nehemiah, what are we talking about, so as briefly as I can. A couple hundred years, or close to a couple hundred years before Nehemiah, before our story, uh, the Israelites had been conquered. And so they had been taken in captivity, so Nehemiah was eventually born in captivity. But he got lucky. He can't complain too much. He's got a cush job, and he is the cupbearer for the king. That means that he lives in the palace. He gets to eat the best food. He's got the king's food. He's got the king's wine. As long as his body is trying to poison the king, Nehemiah's got a great life. Everything is going well for him. And so that is where we pick up in the story. He decided... Because he found out things were not good back in his home country, Jerusalem, his home city. Uh, the city was still destroyed. The wall was still down. The gates were still burned. He said, I'm going to do something about this. And, and then later in the series, last week we learned how when he decided he was going to go do something about it, he picked up some enemies. Two in particular, their name was Sanballat and Tobiah. And they did everything they could to stop him. Matter of fact, before he even got there, they were already resisting him. And so we're, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Nehemiah 6. That's where we'll pick up the story. If not, it's on the screen right behind my head. So it says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, oh, we've added one. So he's got more enemies now than he used to have. And the rest of our enemies, yeah, he seems to accumulate enemies quite well. It says, when they heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come. And let us meet together. But he didn't go because he knew they intended to do me harm. Now, now follow this. Here's what happened. As he decided that he was going to go and do something for God, he ended up with enemies opposing him. You guys understand that if you say, I'm going to do something for God with my life, you're going to get an enemy, right? You guys understand that? You ever had an enemy resist you as you're trying to do something? I mean, his name is Satan. And, uh, you know, but he will manifest through circumstances and, and uh, sometimes through people. Now, look, I didn't say that Satan lived inside your coworker that you hate. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that he will use people to resist us in everything good that God is trying to do. And they had tried to stop him when he was on his way. They had tried to stop him while he was building. They were attacking. They were doing everything they could. And what did he just declare? 
we've finished. When they heard I've built the wall and there is not a breach left in it, since they couldn't take out the wall, they're going to take out Nehemiah. Here's what we get to learn from this. If the enemy can't stop the project, he'll stop the people. If he can't stop the project, he'll stop the people. Now, I want you to think about this. You see, we said two weeks ago that we have a spiritual enemy in Satan. And we said last week, this is really important, that this, moving out of here, building that building that will be that influential on that road and what God will do there is the biggest forward step we have taken since we decided to launch this church from the very beginning, which, by the way, was Palm Sunday 12 years ago. So happy birthday to Grace Life, everybody. There you go. But the enemy knows. I wish I had time to tell you the story of all of the resistance we got in our circumstances to try and buy that property, to try and build that building, to try and do what we're doing. It's an incredible story. And seeing God show up in what God did, but God showed up and God did something. So we're here. The building is underway. I mean, think about this. And these are all easy questions. Every other service has felt like they were going to pass some trick test or said they were afraid to answer. These are easy yeses. Is the building under construction? Uh, does it look like it's going well? Does it look like we're going to move in on time? Thank you. Okay, so here's the thing. What's left for the enemy to attack? Us. Glad you get that. Look around the room. That's where the attack is going to come. You see, if he can't stop the project, he's going to try to stop the people. That means he's going to turn us against each other. He's going to make problems in your own life come to where you're so distracted by them, you can't deal with what you are supposed to be doing in the first place. The enemy's coming after Nehemiah. So here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to learn from Nehemiah. When the enemy tries to take us out, how do we respond? Three simple things. First one, we must remain focused. We must remain focused. Cannot lose sight of what God has told us to do. Check out Nehemiah's next words. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them four times. I added that part. In the same manner. How many of you have ever been frustrated by the enemy, attacked by the enemy, tempted by the enemy, and he comes at you with something and, and you manage to say no? You stand up against that temptation. Maybe you call a friend, somebody prays with you, or, or whatever the story is. And then a week later, he comes back. A month later, he comes back. And another time, he comes back because he thinks if I do this enough, eventually you're going to lose hope and you're going to come down from your great work and you're going to pay attention to him. He just knows if I, if I come at you enough times, you're eventually going to give this thing up. But here's what we need to be able to tell the enemy. I'm doing a great work. That's what we need to be able to say to Satan. I'm doing a great work. I don't have time to come down to you. And, and what we do, though, is we get the distractions become huge. It's what's in our eyes. And instead of the great work being in our eyes, our problems are in our eyes. And we come down from the great work and we go and deal with the distractions. We deal with the problems. We deal with what so-and-so is saying. We deal with what we think about this or that and, and whatever the struggle is. Here's a question for us. Do you believe you're doing a great work? I mean, truthfully. I wouldn't have time if I went around the room 
and we had to individually answer. We would not have time for the counseling session that would likely ensue. Because the majority of us would probably answer, I'm not sure. The majority of us would probably say things like, well, Jimmy, I'll be honest. I don't know if I'm doing a great work for God. I'm doing everything I can to hold my marriage together. I don't know if you could say I'm doing a great work. I know, you know, we've got people trying to give financially, and I'm doing everything I can to just stay out of bankruptcy court. I don't know if I'm doing a great work. I mean, nobody ever asked me a question. I'm not even sure that, that I'm good enough and I don't know I could say anything about Jesus if anybody did ask. And I don't think I'm doing a great work. I'm doing the best I can to hide my shame. And, and I just hope nobody finds out who I really am. I think we'd hear more and more and more of those stories as we went around the room. You know, the first requirement for telling the enemy you're doing a great work and you don't have time for his attack, you've got to be doing a great work. And you've got to believe the work you're doing is great. And you can do a great work. Whatever it is, whoever you are. See, here's the truth. Many of us are doing great works and we don't believe it because that's already the first attack. The first attack of the enemy is, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? Oh, you've got some little life group going on in your house. You get people together once a week and you talk about God. You think, you think that matters? Yes, it does. And you need to say, I'm doing a great work. Just shut up and leave. Oh, you get together with some guys and, and pray once a week and talk about Jesus. You think that's changing? There are only three of you meeting at the coffee shop. You think that matters? Yes, it does matter. There are two other people besides me whose lives are being changed. I'm doing a great work. I don't have time for you. Now, if honestly, if honestly you can say, you know, I don't know that I'm doing a great work, then let's change it. Then let's do something. I'm going to tell you, when, when I went on staff uh, with a church, my, one of my first jobs ever, they hired me as the administrator. That means it was my job to make sure the calendar was working, the website bills got paid, and the light bills got paid, and, and whatever else. Nobody wanted to talk to me as though I knew anything other than where the toilet paper was stored. You know what I'm saying? Nobody came to me with an important question that I thought was a great work to change life. The only questions I got from people who needed mentoring was, can you get me an appointment with that guy? Everybody wanted to meet with that guy, whoever that guy was, the pastor, associate pastors, the elders, anybody, but they didn't need to meet with me because I was just the guy that kept things moving. I knew where the paint was. I knew what color of paint we had. You know what I'm saying? And so if nobody wanted anything from me, but I believe God had called me to help people. And so I stood in the room and I looked around and I saw one guy. One guy who felt so rejected by the world, he wasn't about to ask any of those guys for their time. One guy who seemed so lost, he didn't know if he really was following Jesus. And so I walked up to him and I said, hey, I'm Jimmy. And he said, I'm Jason. I said, uh, I don't know if you're interested, but if you'd like to, we could get together for coffee and just talk about what God's doing in our lives. And he said, you'd want to spend time with me? And my thought was, if you'd want to spend time with me, sounds like a good deal. <laughs> Looks like we're the two losers in the room here, but hey, I'm not going to say that out loud. <laughs> sure. And what began is Jason and I met every Wednesday afternoon for coffee for over a year just talking about what God was doing in his life and, and encouraging one another. 
You see, if you don't think you're actually doing a great work, then you can start. And you may say, but I'm not preaching the thousands or hundreds or, or traveling the world and sharing the gospel in, in foreign nations. No, but you can start with the Jason, with one. Because if every one of us could touch just one, God may have you leading a small group. God may have you leading a mission trip. Who knows what the great work is that you're doing, but we have got to get to a point where we can say, I'm doing a great work work and we must remain focused i don't have time for the distraction i don't have time for the rumors i don't have time for the lies i don't have time for the attacks i don't have time for whatever you would say because i am busy doing something for my god we must remember why we must remember why the next thing he said in the same way send ballot for the fifth time don't you get it no the enemy doesn't get it he will come, and he will come back, and he will come back. Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, It is reported among the nations. Rumors are everywhere. It is on Facebook about you. It's on Instagram. It is spread among the nations. And Geshem said it also. Geshem who? Who cares about Geshem? This is the only place he shows up in the Bible. But you know what? Every single one of us has a Geshem. Every single one of us has a guy or a girl or a name. And, and you start hearing the stuff. You hear the whispers. You hear the rumors. You hear the enemy going, you're nobody. And we're like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. And then you hear that one person where your next door neighbor thinks you're an idiot. Oh, my gosh. What? That's horrible. Oh, your high school friend thinks this about you. Whatever it is, every one of us has that person. And when we hear that name, suddenly it matters more than everybody else. And it shouldn't. And we let the enemy use that person or that name or, or that family member or, or whatever it is because for some reason we care about what that person thinks more than we care about what God thinks. So there's rumors among the nations. Geshem is even spreading his lies too. He's running his mouth. And you know what they say? Here's what they say. You and the Jews intend to rebel. That's right. That's why you're building this wall. You know what the accusation was? You know why you're building this wall? For yourself. You know what you're doing? You're doing for you. It is all about you. It's all about what you want. And I say to the enemy, thank you for the reminder. This isn't about us. This isn't for us. This has never been for us. I mean, when we go over there, we're going to have parking spaces with lines. You clearly don't need them. We don't have them now. None of you park in designated spaces. Some of you, I'm not even sure you were sober when you were parking. You know what I'm saying? Have y'all looked at our parking lot? You're going to be mad when we give you lines and limits and make you stay inside of them. Some of you were like the kid in kindergarten, never colored inside the lines. And when you have to park it, you're going to be angry. We're not getting a parking lot with lines for us. You're good that there are no lines. You, we're not adding a room that's got more seats for more people because of you. You've got a seat. This has never been about us. And that's what we have to remember. This is about other people. We must remember why. It's always about the others. Four days after I graduated college, I got on a plane to go and join a church planning team in Romania. God had spoken that to me the summer before. I'd gone on a short missions trip for just about two weeks, and God said, I, I want you to come back here and, and give your life to these people. So, so I did. Uh, but then there's a problem. 
I'm not, I'm better now. I'm just going to defend myself before I tell this story. I am much better now in every category I'm about to talk about. But when I was 22, I was not the most flexible person. And I'm not referring to bending over or doing splits or any of that kind of thing. I like things a certain way and things had to be a certain way. And I like my comfort. I like my schedule. I like my routine. I like my control. I'm a picky eater. I was a super picky eater. I was raised in the South where food groups are like chocolate, french fries, and hamburgers. You know what I'm saying? I detest garlic. It is the staple of the country in Romania. I am very picky about smells. They have a lot of smells. (laughs) It snowed on October 4th. And I can never forget that because, see, it was the first place I discovered the country controls when you get heat because it was former communist bloc. See, here in America, we have everything the way we want it. If I want heat, I just go to the hallway and push the button, and it's suddenly warmer in my house. But there it snowed on October 4th, and it was cold because the country turns the heat on November 1st. And nobody cares how long snow is on the ground, and nobody cares if you're cold because you will get heat on November 1st. You get hot water Tuesday, Thursdays, and every other Saturday, at least in the part of the city I lived in. And it doesn't matter if you need a shower on Wednesday. Too bad. And that means, of course, that everybody's not showering every day. So when you get them on a train and in a closed space, back to my problem with smells that I mentioned, I have a problem with smells. And I have a problem with personal space, meaning I need more of it than people tend to think I do. I'm just telling you. Distance is good. If you want to talk to me, as long as I can see and hear You don't need to get closer. If you're a guest, I apologize for what you currently think of me. I said I've gotten better. And and in in America, when you go to a restaurant and you get a table to have dinner, you get a table. But in Romania, and as most of Europe, when you go to dinner, you get a chair. And if there's an empty chair at your table, it's going to get filled up with somebody who wants to try and talk to you, even though I don't like small talk, with people that I don't know especially when it's a language I don't even understand, and especially when garlic is coming out of every breath. You know what I'm saying? And you're saying, why am I telling you all this story as they serve me cabbage soup and I got no hot water and everything else? Because I was beginning to say, my God, what have I done? I have made the biggest mistake of my life, and God said, remember why you came. You didn't come here for you. We must remember why. You see, we're going to go over there and more people are going to come and and we're going to need to do things for people that are uncomfortable, that impose upon our space. We're going to actually have to park and organize spaces so that we can fit more cars in. Now look, before we get to the last point, I want to show you something that can be a danger for us at this point in the journey. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul. In 52 days. Wow, this is a big story for something that took less than two months to do. Well, because there was more to do than build the wall. We'll get to that. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid. Wait a minute. The rumors that spread, the attacks, suddenly they're afraid of us. Yeah, if you stand up to the enemy long enough, he will run scared from you instead of coming after you. They were afraid, and they fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. 
How many of you were there last Sunday afternoon in the building? We got to go over to the building. We got to worship. We got to pray. We got to do that. If you were there, it was an awesome time. If not, check out. They're going to give you a little slideshow of pictures here while I'm talking about this. It was so awesome to stand in that building and to watch people just go, yeah. It's been a dream for so long. Some of them stood there, and I, I saw tears coming down people's faces just going, it's really happening. I, I mean, it was so exciting to hear worship inside those walls for the first time, to hear us stand together and sing those songs. It was so awesome. And we know that the enemy is afraid because we have gotten that far, and he can see we didn't do this by ourselves. We didn't have the money to do it, the story, the resistance. If I could tell you all the details of how God came through, we know the enemy knows that God is with us. But see, here's where our danger lies. It is so easy for us to see the construction underway and to stop thinking about what we need to do. It is so easy to celebrate things like last Sunday and to shout, we did it! So easy to see the building getting finished and forget the main thing, which is point number three. We must prepare for people. We must prepare for people. Check this out. This is a strange part of the story, chapter 7. Now, when the wall had been built and I set up the doors, he's done. Y'all get that? When the wall had been built and I set up the doors, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. You did all this for a few? What? And no houses had been rebuilt. Let me explain the way people lived thousands of years ago because this will make a little bit more sense. You see, back in biblical times, two, three, four thousand years ago, uh, people lived in the city when the city was safe. When there was a wall to protect you, when there were gates to close at night, and when there was an army to defend, you lived in the city because chances are the city was strong. It wasn't going to fall. If the city stands, you stand. It was the place to be. But then, if the city was not a safe place, as Jerusalem had become, the walls were torn down, the gates were burned, you could conquer Jerusalem in the middle of the night without even raising a sword, all you got to do is step over some rubble and take whatever you wanted. So the people had moved out. The people no longer lived there. The people no longer worshipped there. there. There was nothing going on there. Because the, the, the way to stay safe was, if, honey, if we go and build our little house out in the suburbs. <laughs> Come on, y'all know what? I mean, we do it now, don't we? Let's go out to the suburbs and do our own little thing. If anybody's going to attack the city, we're safe. If we get our little house and we build it about a half mile out in the woods across the field where we can just see Jerusalem in the distance, if anybody comes, well, they're not going to beat up on our little house. A whole army's not coming after one little family. And we'll have plenty of time to run. We're going to go over here where we're safe. So nobody lived in the city. Now they have built this city. They have restored the walls. And it is time to do something. And what are they doing? Let's move the people in. Let's get the people back. Let's build some houses. Let's get people there. Are you guys getting the analogy here? We're going to finish that thing and we're going to have room. And if somebody comes into that place on the first Sunday and looks around at the number of us, they're going to say, you did this for a few? No, we're going to do it for all those who are yet to move in. We're doing this because there are people in this city that need to meet Jesus. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing everything we do always. That's, you walked in the door. Today you were given an invite to next week at Easter. 
The reason we do that is because we want to take advantage of the enemy's foolishness. All right, listen to this. You live in the Bible Belt. And in the Bible Belt, people don't think they need church because they think they're good, right? You just, you kind of live near everything and there's a church on every corner and somehow you just think you're going to like fall into heaven when, when it all goes, goes down or something. So you invite people to church and they're like, ah, I don't really need that. I don't need that. But fortunately, because we also live in the Bible Belt, it comes with a lot of guilt. The enemy loves to make people feel ashamed and that they should check certain boxes. And some of those boxes are, since you live in the Bible Belt, you show up at church a couple of times a year. And those two above anything else is Easter and Christmas. Next week for us is Easter. It's a chance for us to take advantage of the guilt and the shame and to invite somebody to meet Jesus that they would never be open to. That's why we're doing a six-part series on the kingdom of God right after it because somebody may come and they may discover it wasn't as painful as they thought it would be. And, and the Holy Spirit may start working in one of them, maybe a, a child or the spouse or something, and, hey, can we do this again? Well, they are going to do that six-part series. I guess we could just we could try a few weeks. We won't commit long-term. Maybe we'll just try out this six-week thing. That's why we're doing those six-week small groups, so that if you meet somebody new, or for those of you that are new, you can get together just six weeks, right? Because if God gets busy in six weeks, imagine what he can do. See, we just got to move the people in. Now, this is important. Chapter 8. All the people gathered as one man, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. Let me show you where we are in the story. This is the closest thing to what we're doing right now. All of us who understand, we come together, and somebody reads from this, and we worship God. But see, they had stopped. They weren't doing it. Because the walls had been torn down, the temple was destroyed, the people had been taken captive, and the few that stayed, well, getting together in a group was making you a target. So, you know, and on top of that, the God you worshipped allowed you to get defeated. So now we're, we're kind of like he's a genie God, and he must have gone back in the bottle. We're going to quit worshipping him for a while. As Americans, we understand the genie God concept way too well. So they weren't really doing this. Now they've rebuilt the wall, and Nehemiah challenges Ezra and says, Let, let's, let's actually get together again. Let's get out the book of God's ways and let's read it. And Ezra had to go find it. We're going to meet people that are going to have to go find their Bibles or we're going to give them one. They're going to have to go and find it. And he comes together with all the people who understand that's us. And check it out. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. We were doing that earlier. We're singing songs and we're lifting our hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That's us, right? That's what we're doing. And then the Levites helped the people to understand. Let me back up and explain something. The Levites were the people who had committed their lives to serving the ministry. So you had the priest and all the musicians, you had all that kind of stuff, but then the Levites were the one who said, let me help you. Let me serve here. God had even set them apart. They were born into the, the tribe of Levi. They didn't really get a whole choice in the matter. 
But for you and me, the best analogy we have today is those of us who have said, I want to be a part of making this possible. Maybe you're on the worship team. Maybe you're on the G Kids team. Maybe you're on the, the, the greeter team. And you come in and you say, I'm a part of, of making worship possible. Okay, do you guys understand your part in this story now, right? You with me? Because like when you read a book, it makes more sense to you if you imagine yourself in it. You watch a movie, it's a lot more fun. You imagine yourself in it, right? You with me? We're here in this story. We're all the people who understand. We're coming together to say God is great. And then we, the ones who have committed our lives to helping, we help the people to understand. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood. See, what God is going to do is he's going to send people who don't understand. And for those of us who do understand, it is going to be our role to help them. It's going to be our role to help people understand the love of God because we have understood the love of God. It is going to be our role to help people understand that God has a purpose for their lives because we understand, don't we? That's a good question, isn't it? You see, too often in the American church, we think this whole idea about getting together on Sunday morning is really just kind of to listen and and watch somebody who has a purpose for their lives. But no, it's not like that at all. That's one of the biggest problems with church is because it's too much watching a few who have a purpose for their lives. And the enemy says, you don't do a great work because you don't even have a purpose for your life. And we've got to dethrone that lie and believe that we're called to do something. If it's just you and a guy named Jason, you see what I'm saying? Just do something, you and whatever God has called you to do. There is a purpose. And, And here's what I believe. The number of people that respond to what I'm saying today will determine the number of people that we can help. Because God will do what God has always done. And that is to give you what he can trust you with. It's a great principle of scripture. So here's the thing. If 10 or 20 people respond to what I'm saying today, then God will send us 10 or 20 people that we can help. If 100 people respond to what I'm saying today, God will send us 100, maybe a few extra that we can help. If 500 respond to what I'm saying today, then God might send 500 that we can then begin to help. You see, the Levites helped those who didn't understand to understand. And the number of us that are willing to say, you know what, I don't know much, but I'll meet you for coffee once a week. Hey, you know what, I'll be honest, I don't know anything about the Bible. I'm just starting to read it myself, but I've been married for a while and did a lot wrong and I've done a few things right. So if a couple of you other guys want to get together with me once a week and learn about marriage, maybe one of the ladies here says, you know, I don't know anything about the Bible except this one book. I went through this one Bible study with this one uh, other group I was in sometime and and I, I, I would love to just go through the book of Matthew with you. It's the only thing I know. Please don't ask any other questions. But if you'd like to get together and go through the book of Matthew, I'll help you because it's what I understand. You can do a great work. Whatever it is, you can do a great work. It is our role to help others understand. It is our role to help others understand the sacrifice Jesus made for them. And and just because we're talking about it, I'm going to mess up what I normally do. I'm going to do things out of order. I'm just going to stop right here and point out. We talked about this at communion when we had a little juice and the little cracker kind of thing. You see, here's, here's the deal. 
about 2,000 years ago on this very week. Jesus was walking into Jerusalem to voluntarily die, as was pointed out by Matt. Voluntarily. Because he knew we could never be right with the Father on our own. He was laying down his life so that we could have life. And that's what that little juice was for because later in that week, he got together with his disciples and he said, hey, this, this grape juice, this wine, I want you to think of this as my blood. That's, it's going to be spilled for you. They, they couldn't understand. And he said, this, this bread that I'm giving you, I want you to think of it as my body that's going to be broken to you as it is nailed to a cross. And they couldn't understand. They didn't, they didn't get what was going on. They, they expected a Messiah to come someday, but they didn't understand what was going to happen to Jesus that week. But Jesus knew as he began that week the great thing that was going to happen. It was going to have some pain along the way, but God was going to save all of humanity through this. That was amazing, right? And God knows the process we're in and what he's going to do on the other side of it. But if you're one of those people who has never responded to what Jesus did, thousands of years ago because too often we we like the idea jesus died for humanity to save humanity and we say oh well i'm in humanity i'm good no you're not yeah he died for us but each of us individually at some point has to say thank you for dying for me i want to live for you usually i do this at the end and i'll even lead you in a prayer but here's what you need to know the prayer is not magical so if anyone has never done that right now in your own heart, right where you are, just say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I want to live for you. And I'm going to keep preaching. Welcome to the kingdom. We must, we must remain focused. We must remember why. And we must prepare for people. We can't just wait. We can't just wait. You know, the, the, we've got a date to move in. We can't just wait. We've got an excitement coming. No, we can't just wait. We can't just wait. There is much to be done. There are lives to touch. There is a response. It is time for us to do something. That's what this process has been about. It's been a three-year journey. We've referred to it as a three-lap race. It began March two years ago, and so again, here in this March, this is the, the critical one. By the time we get to next March, we're going to be in the building. People will have already come. They will have been touched by someone or ignored by someone. Which is it going to be? It, it, this comes down to us right now, this final lap, saying, I'm not going to lose in the final lap. I'm not going to run this far and now to trip and stumble. That's why right now this is about serving so that we can help others who come. This is about teaching so we can help those who don't understand. And yes, obviously, this is about giving so we can finish what we started. We are building a beacon to this community, and we will be moving into it soon. That is what we're here to talk about today. So once a year, we come together and we give an annual offering. Uh, it's for those who have decided to give once a year. Uh, it's for those who are saying, let me get on board. I wasn't here last year or a few months ago. It's for those who might even be guests who say, I might not ever come again, but I'm excited for what you're doing. It's for anybody who has a willing heart, but it's no pressure to anyone who doesn't. 
So I want to share this passage with you. It's one of my favorite things. When they were building the tabernacle for the first time and Moses was leading it, here's what it said about them. All the men and women whose hearts moved them. That's it. That's all we ask. Those of you who God has said, get excited about that and be part of that. Those whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work, what the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, well, they brought it as a free will offering. It's your choice. It's your heart. It's your desire. And if you don't want to be a part of that, no pressure. God will provide. This is for those who say, you know what? I want to make that happen. And so right now what we're going to do is we're going to give to God. You came in and sat down. There was something on your seat. There's a card there that is there for your, uh, maybe if this is the first time you're joining in, there's also an envelope there if you're giving an offering today specifically to that. I need to make sure you understand those envelopes are different. They are for this only. Anything you put in there is going to this. So if you needed to go to something else, don't put it in that envelope. Make sure you get a different one. For those of you that need a moment to either fill out a card or an envelope or whatever, I'm going to close by sharing just a very, very brief story with you. Uh, this was shared with me just this week. We get, we get a lot of really cool stories this was a, a name, a lady named Sophia, who's only been coming, I believe, about three or four weeks to Grace Life. And by the way, can I just have a minute to talk about people who are new? But I'm also going to talk about people who are not. Uh, it's just going to be better for those who are new. I have a lady that came to my life group. And, and so she's new to my life group. She's new to Grace Life. And, and she was saying, you know, uh, as we're talking about spiritual gifts, I believe God's called me to do some things. And I, I'd like to I've got an idea of what I think God would want me to do, but I'm the new new here. I'm the new kid on the block, and I don't want to go taking somebody else's spot. I don't want to come in acting like I'm, I'm the know-it-all and getting the way and looking all proud, so I, I don't know if I should. Those are lies of the enemy. I said, listen, if God's put it on your heart, you go ahead and do it, because if somebody was here and not doing anything about it, don't worry about their feelings. They apparently don't care. If you're new to Grace Life, I want to remind you of maybe the most important detail of this story. Nehemiah was new to Jerusalem. Nehemiah was an outsider. He came from the outside to do what nobody inside seemed to care about. So if you're new to Grace Life and you have a heart for something that nobody seems to be doing, don't you worry about their feelings. It's their fault they haven't stepped up yet and built the wall. Here's what Sophia had to say. I have to say that I had become really discouraged about going to church. I'd lost my joy. Churches were cold and unfriendly. And I felt that we all needed to have the love of Jesus in our hearts and show love for one another. My first Sunday at Grace Life, I met, I met people who obviously loved Jesus. They showed it by reaching out to me and making me feel part of this church and now I feel that I have a family that's why we're doing this we get these stories often matter of fact I had three different stories that I could have chosen to share from just today I don't mean that arrogantly I mean God is using us and it's a great privilege but he is using us to touch people and that's why we're doing this so I'm going to do something I don't normally do, which is pray before we give. We never do that here. But I want to pray 
that you will have a vision for a great work for your life. I want to pray for what God is going to continue to do in this last 12 months. And then we do want to pray for God's provision. Will you join me? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the most incredible privilege of being part of what you're doing on the earth. You could have sent angels to do it while we stood by, but you are using us to gain an inheritance in your kingdom. And we say thank you. Thank you that you've given us purpose for our lives. I pray right now for every person in this room. I pray that they would have a vision for a great work for their lives. That they would believe they can do a great work. And when they engage in what you've put into their hearts, they would know they are doing a great work. And they would look the enemy in the face in his attack and his accusations and say, I am too busy for you. I am doing a great work for my God. I pray that for everyone in this room. God, I pray for the great things you're going to do as we prepare to move into a new space, as we do move in and the, the great things that are going to come, the lives that you're going you're to touch, the people you're going to send. God, we pray for great things. And we ask right now for your provision. We're grateful for it. We thank you for what you've provided so far. And I pray that you will reward the generosity of your people coming together to do what you've put in their hearts. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.